Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Camille from sunny California, and you're listening to the Coffee Chat with Camille show, which is a podcast series that interviews various guests about real-life topics for people who love to learn. Hello everyone, we have a very special guest in the studio today. Her name is Elizabeth Makowitz, and I hope also I'm pronouncing her name right, but um, hopefully she received my message to call in. The topic is From Prison to Purpose with artist Elizabeth Makowitz. Um, her bio is that she five years ago was painting murals in a federal, as a federal inmate and um, now had her own, has her own art shows and launched an environmentally friendly clothing brand based on her art. Prison had opened her eyes to the systematic racism, cruelty, corruption, and inequality in this country. She says that she um, now has tried to expose what she had witnessed and endured to legislation. She also has created the women's clothing brand that also comes in plus sizes during her healing journey. And she wants to help people from all walks of life to do the same. She says she's editing stages of her memoir. Oh, I can't wait to read it. And she's also creating an adult coloring book based on PTSD and what she's learned from her own trauma. Okay. And also you are um, welcome to go to her website, of course. It's uh, called Legal Legal Stir. Legal stay. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's L E capital L E G A L E R I S T E dot com forward slash E N forward slash Elizabeth dot Makatowitz, which is M I K O T O W I C Z. And this link is to her environmentally friendly clothing brand. It's called EPM Clothing. She said that she has painted, Elizabeth has painted all the designs, and it can be ordered in plus sizes made in Canada. Hey, Canada. Her mission, excuse me, uh, with this brand is to empower anyone who identifies with the divine feminine and empower them with confidence and inner strength. And then she says that she has painted all of these during her own healing journey. Oh, my God, I can't wait to go and um, purchase some for myself because I, too, am an artist. So I definitely believe in supporting our art community. Let me see. Um, One moment, everybody. Let me see if I can find our magnificent guest here. Um, to make sure she's able to be here with us, because if not, we just reschedule, because um, I'm really going to 
make time to have Elizabeth on the show. All right. Okay, let me see. Let me see. She may already. Let me check. No, not yet. Okay. Um, I'll ask her. She can just send over her phone number to me, and I'll call her. You know, um, I'll wait about 10 more minutes, okay? Anyway, uh, I think it's super important to listen to all stories about the uh, injustices, unfortunately, that happen within our country and see in what ways that we can actually um, make things better. And so um, we have an activist here. And here's Elizabeth, actually. Okay, so hold on, everyone. <clears throat> Hi. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for <laughs> so, having me. It's such a pleasure. I mean, you have such a powerful story, and I absolutely wanted to share it with my listeners, okay? And oh, um, I absolutely admire your activism. And um, I just feel so, so pleased to have you here. So I do, you're welcome, by the way. And uh, I do want to go ahead and get into our interview right now so that the audience can learn about you. Okay? Absolutely. Yes. So how did you become an addict? Well, um, you know, I grew up in a decent family like there was a lot of love and a lot of support and they both had good jobs middle class you know I grew up in a big house with a big yard I was loved had all my needs fulfilled and they were really great people but once I started dating you know in my 20s I got in a, a really bad domestic violence relationship and he assaulted me to the point where my skull was showing on, you know, one of the first times he assaulted me, like it it wasn't, there was no buildup. It was just like, you know, that's it. I'm in the hospital. Like they're sewing the muscle back together. They're sewing the skin back together. And I started getting seizures and um, they prescribed me opioids and, um, they told me I'd be on, I was on too small of a dose to get addicted. So I shouldn't worry. And, you know, now we know that this was like 15 years ago. So they were still, you know, big pharma was pushing their, pushing their product and, you know, lying to everybody. And, um, so I tried to refuse it and I found out I was pregnant, you know, when I went to the hospital for that injury. And so, um, because my blood pressure kept skyrocketing, they said that that was putting my baby in danger. And if I refused, then that would re- that could result in a call to Child Protective Services for, you know, refusing, you know, medical advice. 
So I, I, I took it and, you know, um, had I had a lot of seizures and that was really scary and I was I was going like deaf and blind for moments at a time and you know after I gave birth to my son you know the abuse got worse and I wasn't pregnant anymore so I was like well you know I don't have to worry about you know harming a baby by you know doing more and so you know you just start doing more and you know, it, it really helped with the trauma, too. Like, I was a nervous wreck. I had never experienced panic attacks before and, you know, until, like, the, all this started happening to me. And um, eventually, I went to Bruce Run, which is a battered women's shelter, and mm-hmm. they turned me away with two beds open after talking with police. And they said that my injuries were um, too severe and um, my situation was too dangerous and it put the other women in the shelter in danger. So they had two beds open and the one of the girls that got the bed, the guy didn't even hit her. He just kicked her car and that is domestic violence, absolutely destroying property. You know, yes, it is. But compared to my situation and they're telling me like, no, we're not going to help you. So, you know, I was desperate and scared and I, I I made a deal with my father um you know he said look you you're 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 having you know seizures and you know you can't really take care of your kids right now anyway if they can't help you find a place to live or get into a shelter or get a voucher then you know you need to sign temporary guardianship over because you know if my ex were to show up with the cops my dad would have to hand my kids over and then I'd have to go through the nightmare of you know, trying to get them back, you know, and um, so, you know, drug dealers ended up helping me because um, once I signed my kids over, I lost my health insurance. So there was, you know, there was no going to rehab. There was, you know, no financial aid, you know, to get me into new housing. You know, I lost all of it because my kids, you know, weren't under my care. And, yeah, it was just, it was really hard. It was really awful. Um, but drug dealers ended up helping me, giving me places to hide, you know, giving me work and, you know, you, you know, or they took advantage, you know, I, I, I kind of look at it both ways. Like, you know, they gave me places to hide so I could get away from this man. But at the same time, they were taking advantage of me, you know, getting me into a life I never wanted and, you know, feeding my addiction and, uh, you know, breaking the law now and eventually I caught drug charges and went to prison. Okay. All right. So then what is prison what was prison like? Well, um I spent sixteen months in the county jail waiting to get sentenced and you know, jail is it's very oppressive and it's very systemically uh, racially, you know, oppressive and, you know, they, like, for instance, a hospital saves $350,000 a year contracting their linen to be washed by inmates so that they don't have to pay regular Americans, you know, a minimum wage, let alone a living wage, just a minimum wage. Like, they don't want to pay us that anymore either. So, you know, you're, demonizing different groups of people for different reasons, you know, mental health, you know, race, whatever, you know, any, anything. And you're, you're just putting them in, you know, 
a place where they're not treated right. They're given a number and the guards are very abusive and, you know, especially to women. They're, yeah. they're just, they're awful. Like, for instance, my first week at Somerset County, I witnessed an entire pod of women get stripped out because they signed up for a razor and a male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't. Like, and those wow. that did were punished. Like, that's the kind of treatment. And that's the PG stuff that goes on in there. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if they get really quite violent with with people, you know, for no reason. I watched them break a girl's arm because she asked what she did wrong to get hauled to solitary. Like they told her, you know, cuff up, we're taking you to solitary. All she did was, why am I going to solitary? What did I do? And they said, oh, you're resisting. And then they pushed her up against the wall. And yeah, you just watched her collarbone pop right out of place. It was awful. Like, and you have to watch Mm. this stuff and there's nothing you can do. And if you fight back, it's five years. Wow. And then and then how I'm sorry too, how how did you maintain your sobriety in the last five years? Well, um, I got really lucky because Janet Mills became the governor. And, you know, Paula Page, he was he's just, you know, conservative, awful, like for instance, he got on T V uh and said, um, all these uh, all these drug dealers from the hood are coming up and impregnating our white women. And he's talking about like black people, and he's saying that they're they're flooding our streets and all that stuff. When in reality, like they wouldn't be coming up here if you know a bunch of white drug addicts and drug dealers and confidential informants working for the police weren't going down to get them. So he was he he had cut all you know uh medical insurance and public funding for pretty much everything so like nobody had health insurance then and so when janet mills took over you know it was just we were so lucky because she expanded medicare and i was finally able to you know get properly medicated and you know get therapy and continue counseling and you know continue with you know my recovery when before there was just no help there was you know you couldn't even get your medications when i got out of prison you know i went to the pharmacy there was $1,300 worth of medications the prison had me on. And I had no way to pay for it. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. And, you know, I spiraled. I, I, my, I relapsed again because, you know, these psych meds, you know, you detox mentally, physically, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of those psych meds can kill you. Like, your heart can stop. Like, lithium, mm-hmm. for example, like, if you just stop taking that, your heart can stop and you can die. Like, they're very dangerous. So what happens is mm-hmm. inmates will be let out and they, they run out of their medications. They might give them a month's supply, but there's, you know, most states, there's no way to get, you know, your prescriptions paid for. And, you know, we all know how big pharma loves to jack their prices up. So, I mean, mm-hmm. just, you know, that, that's what happens. That's why so many people end up relapsing right off the bat. You know, never mind that it's completely traumatizing to go from prison to society. Your brain's been completely rewired. And, you know, it's very odd. You know, like we as women, we weren't around men, you know, that weren't in a position of authority and power over us that, you know, were essentially oppressive. You know, not all of them were cruel and abusive, but, you know, they're all in a position of power over us. 
where, you know, at the end of the day, we're helpless. And so it's very odd, you know, coming back out and having to get used to be around men again. Yes. Yes. And then um, what is Prey or P-R-E-A? Oh, Priya. Yeah, that Priya, thank you. The, <laughs> yeah, that stands for the Prison Rape Elimination Act. So um, when I was at Somerset County, that was the same county that stripped those women out. I wasn't one that got stripped out that time because I didn't sign up for a razor. When they put me in solitary, they have illegal cameras in um, their solitary uh, unit um, cells. Mm-hmm. And like... In the, in the state of Maine, you are not, by law, you cannot have a camera inside of a cell where an inmate's going to the bathroom and sleeping. You're just not allowed to do it for good reason. And they have these cameras in there, but when they put me in there, they're like, you need to strip. And I'm like, I'm not stripping in front of this camera for your cops to watch me. Like, I'm not doing it. And then I was threatened with, you know, a SWAT team. They threatened to extract me. And they, they literally come in, you know, 10 deep, all suited up in, you know, SWAT gear with electric shock shields, you know, mace, baton. They have gas, like these gas cans that are scientifically designed to take the oxygen out of your lungs. And it's not like... I've never had been in a cell that's been gas, but it doesn't matter. If one cell is getting gas, they all are because of the vent system. So when one person makes them mad, everybody's punished. Everybody's abused. Everybody is traumatized. And, mm-hmm. you know, this becomes, you know, the norm every day. And um, yeah. so when I was in solitary, they, they made me strip. And when... I got to Alderson in prison. I filed a PREA complaint. So PREA is like any anything sexual of a sexual nature, whether it's, you know, sexual harassment or rape or anything like that, it goes under PREA. And an outside source is supposed to come and interview the inmate. That never happened with, um, at Somerset. Um, I had an officer pulling my pants open, asking me if I was wearing underwear, exposing me to other inmates, and no one ever came and talked to me. I, I submitted a complaint because I'm like, listen, I have really bad PTSD. Like, she grabs me like that again. Like, I'm not going to – I might not have control over my reactions, and I don't want to get five years. Like, this isn't fair. And, you know, no one ever came and talked to me, um, just the lieutenant. And, like, that officer did get in trouble for it, but – you know, like still, they weren't following proper protocol. And that's what they do to cover the abuse up. They'll invest it, they'll say they investigate it themselves, and then it won't, they won't allow it to go any higher. And then they won't give you the paperwork. So when I was at Alderson, I filed the PREA against Somerset County for forcing me to strip in front of those cameras because it caused me to have, um, to have a really bad, like, PTSD, like, kind of mental breakdown because my ex used to trap me in the bathroom and, like, make me strip and literally torture me for hours. That was the same guy that gave me the head injury. Like, he was just sadistic. And, you know, like, I remember that would start with me, like, begging begging for my life, and then it would end with me, like, begging him to kill me. Like, please just get over with. Like, that's how bad it was. And so this 
put me back to that place. And I started hallucinating that I was like back in my old apartment, you know, being held hostage by him. So I really kind of had this psychological break because of what they did. They also had me on the wrong medication. Um, they, they were giving me antidepressants and, um, I'm actually high functioning autistic and it can make, uh, if, if you're not actually depressed, it can put you into, you know, psychosis. It can make you suicidal. It can make you homicidal. Like these medicines can, can be very, very dangerous if you're, mm-hmm. if they're giving you, you know, the wrong one for the wrong diagnosis and people really don't understand that. You know, they just think, oh, I'm going to take a pill and I'm going to feel better. Like, no, it can be very, very dangerous and really, really scary. And um, so I filed a PREA at Alderson. And when Alderson got the response back, Alderson wouldn't even let me hold it. They read me the response from Somerset County. And Somerset County admitted to everything they, everything I was complaining about. And then they basically deemed it unfounded. They basically said, yep, we did it. What about it? We didn't do anything wrong. Like, so they deemed it unfounded so it wouldn't go any higher. And that's another way they bury it. They'll, like, they'll admit it, but they'll deem it unfounded. Like, yeah, basically it's okay. And it won't go any higher. Nobody else will look at it. And that's it. They just bury it. So Alderson wouldn't give me the paperwork. I asked for a copy. I asked to send it home. They said, no, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. And so that prevented me from filing a complaint when I got out. Because, you know, you have 100 days to file a complaint about something when you get out of jail. But if you don't have the paperwork to prove that you went up the proper chain of command, they can't do anything. So this is how they're burying all this abuse in prison, and it's destroying people. And, you know, I got a lawyer and everything when I got out, and Somerset County told me to subpoena, have a lawyer subpoena it. Well, you can't subpoena paperwork without an open case, and you can't open a case without the paperwork. So this, this, it's just very corrupt and, you know, they know these little loopholes and that's why I'm working with legislation to get, you know, a law on the table that holds these facilities, you know, like $500 a day or something for every day they stonewall an inmate and not give them their paperwork. And this is even worse. So that when Alderson, they refused to give me the paperwork. After I got out, the captain and four of his subordinates all got arrested and convicted for raping and stalking inmates and tampering with PREA evidence. Like, they didn't do it just to me. They destroyed the PREA evidence, you know, all across the board. Like, for, and they, they, I didn't even, I didn't even know this was going on when I was there. I, I like, I kind of kept to myself. Um, but, yeah, the captain got 10 years for raping multiple inmates. And it was, like, over a dozen girls came forward. And, you know, it was just awful. And, you know, I guess I can't say I didn't, I had an idea something was going on, but I didn't know for sure. Like, there were a couple girls in my unit. Sometimes they would just come back at weird hours and they would be completely shook. They'd go in the shower and just, you could hear them sobbing. And, you know, in in prison, like, if you see somebody upset, you know, it's kind of proper etiquette to just leave them alone and, you know, unless they want to talk like that, you just, you don't ask questions, you don't pry, like, 
it's a different etiquette in there. Yes. And then um, people assume inmates get three free meals and medical treatment. How accurate is this? (laughs) That's not very accurate at all. I watched so many women die of, you know, very treatable things like um mm-hmm. for instance we, we work 40 hours for five dollars and 25 cents a month in the feds so we're getting pennies a day literally this one girl and i was at a camp so there aren't even fences holding us in like we are low security you know nonviolent women you know mo- most of them are white collar you know whatever it's no, like nobody's a killer there or anything like that and mm-hmm. This girl broke her leg shoveling the snow. By the time they took her to the hospital, they had they had to re-break her leg because it had the bone had already fused back together. Like they wow. let people go. I mean, I can't tell you how many women I watched die of cancer because they would not get them tested. They would not. They they only take you to an outside facility if you're going to die. So you can imagine a lot of illnesses, you know, are way worse than they have to be because they just don't check people. They don't do anything for them. This one girl, she had a tumor um, in her intestines, rectum area, and she had blood pouring out of her into her shoes, and they would not take her. By the time they brought her, she had three months to live. They turned her three-year sentence into a death sentence. Like, the (laughs) medical, oh, my God. No, they, no. I've watched women's appendix first, you know, their gallbladder go bad, and it goes septic because they don't want to take any, any precaution, any health care precaution for these women. And it's terrifying if you think you're sick. Like, (laughs) Oh, the common joke is, you know, that you turn into a hypochondriac because you know you're going, you're not going to get adequate medical attention. I mean, even the nurse in there was like, I would send my child to a witch doctor before I sent them here with these people. Yeah. And then how has the trauma impacted your mental health? Well, I mean, I don't leave my house. I'm terrified of cops. Um Oh, yeah, and the food, the food comes in boxes that literally says not for human consumption on the side of it. It's really bad. It's really cheap. Um, A lot of it's not even edible. Um, I I mean, people get sick. You get moldy bread all the time. Like, it's, you know, there's Mm. a couple places, like rural jails, that will grow their own food and, you know, bring chefs in because it's not a very big inmate population. But the second you start getting 100, over like 100 or so of inmates, you know, they're, they're cutting every corner. They are, you know, they don't want inmates to have anything. I remember when they cut salt at Penobscot County because it saved them $400 a year. They cut salt out of the inmate's meal. Like, you can't even get them salt. Like, it's it's so petty and just disgusting. And, I mean, dogs eat better than inmates do. Well, you can buy commissary. You you can buy commissary, but they don't have, like, a lot to choose from. And, you know, like, for instance, a packet of ramen noodles, that costs 
what, like 20 cents on the outside, it costs $1.50 in there. And we're only making $5.25 a month. Quadruple the prices. Like, they make money off of everything they can. Like, that's what prison is. They're, they're already making over $100 a day in taxpayers' money on, you know, inmates, per inmate. And they're not doing anything for them. I mean, women can't even get tampons unless you want to pay triple the price. They have these cheap little pads that, you know, you have to wear like four of them. Women will try to make their own tampons and end up getting infections. Like, it's really bad. Um, we just passed a law in Maine mandating all jails provide tampons and pads free of charge for women. So that, that was a victory. But <laughs> Yeah, that's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the trauma is, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm on a healing journey, and I probably will be for the rest of my life, but every time I see a cop or, you know, anything like that, I, I get nervous. It's like I flip a coin in my head, you know, is this guy a sociopath or not? <laughs> and, and the women, too. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not just the men. The women will, too. And, like, I still have crazy dreams. Like, the common prison dream is, you know, you're walking down the block and you're about to get out and then you get out and then you're walking down the street and then all of a sudden the houses turn back into cells and you're, like, trying to get out again and it's, like, the same cycle over. It's 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 pretty terrifying. Um, or, like, I'll have dreams where, you know, guards will be hurting me or hurting someone I care about and I can't get out and I can't get to them. Um, I don't really leave my house a lot, like, unless if I have to. I'm very much a recluse now. And, you know, people, most people I know that have spent some time in prison, that's kind of how they are now, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about this. And then why does... Why do you think that uh, America, land of the free, has the highest rate of incarceration? Because it's a free workforce for them. I mean, over Mm -hmm. the pandemic, all these jails were um, taking PPP loans uh, to expand their prisons and, you know, get more beds in. (laughs) And now they're trying to criminalize homelessness. This is a free workforce. Yeah. All these corporations will get free workers, and they don't have to pay them a, a minimum wage. These, these millionaires and these corporations are so cheap and so greedy, they don't even want to pay us minimum wage, let alone a livable wage. And, yeah. you know, it's easy just to group them all up and, you know, demonize them and name them as a problem and, you know, throw them away. I mean, they they were packing so many inmates, and in, um, there's something called the bus stop in the feds where you have all of these extra bunks in front of the cubes, which is basically like cells. They just don't, you know, have a door. Um, it was a fire hazard to have that many inmates in the room, but one inmate will pay for that fine, you know, 10 times over in a matter of a couple months. They're getting over $100 a day per inmate. And, you know, another scam in the feds, and I hope people are paying attention because this is where their taxpayers' money is going to. Um, if you don't have your GED, you, you're, you're mandated to take the GED. That's great 
if you don't have a high school diploma or a GED. But what was happening is they were getting $2,000, you know, per inmate that was enrolled in the GED. Then they get like another $2,000 when they graduate. So the, the caseworkers are supposed to get, you know, the high school the, uh, diploma certificate, you know, to prove, prove that. They won't, though. And it's already in people's PSI and paperwork that they, gradu- that they went through high school, if they went to college, you know, whatever. So they have all these women with bachelor's degrees, college degrees, you know, they've, they've gone above and beyond doctorates, and they're being forced to take the GED because they can't get a copy of their high school diploma from prison. So it's just free money to them. Wow. I mean, that's all prison yeah. is, is one big money pit. Yeah. It makes sense. That makes absolute sense what you're saying. And I've never heard that before. So um, I really, really want to thank you so very much for this enlightening conversation. And um, I also, I I did, if you don't mind, um, I have a few minutes. I did want to get into you being an artist, too. Um, yeah. like, like how long, yeah, cause I, I'm an artist as well. And, um, oh, I, awesome. I was so, yes. And, and I'm definitely in the mental health community. I have, de- I have anxiety and depression from, from some trauma that I experienced in my life as well. And so oh, that's I like, I, I, yeah. So I, I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh, I understand, you know? And so yeah. I, I, I uh, and I'm definitely going to uh, uh, buy your clothing too, your clothing brand. Did you? Could you please get oh, into that you. a little bit for me? You're welcome. Absolutely. Um, you, so um, yes, I'm. I'm actually creating an adult coloring book for trauma. Um, so when I was in the county, um, my mother sent me these books called Zen Tangle Books, and it's kind of like this meditative art. You don't have to be naturally talented or some great artist. Like, it is really for everybody, and it's just these little doodles and little designs, and there's a certain way you do it, and there's, um, it's just very relaxing. And that's what I did in county to, like, kind of distract myself from the trauma and help me with the flashbacks mm-hmm. and everything else. So I'm creating a coloring book and I'm putting some of my coping mechanisms in that book as well. And what I've learned about trauma and because if you don't understand what's happening, to your brain, like you don't know why you're having these reactions and you know, what's really happening to you. And I think that made it all that much worse when I didn't understand what was happening to me and why. And um, yes. so I also painted murals, um, I did it in Somerset County, but when I got to Danbury, I actually got paid for it. And it was one of the highest paying jobs in the prison. I got paid $58 a month to paint murals. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just really, I was really happy I got to do that because um, she let me paint whatever I want. And um, I got to put some really cool stuff on the walls. I call it my blue period because they only allowed me to paint with blue. And of course I have white <laughs> and black, you know, to shade with it, but you know, it, it was cool. So it was kind of like uh, Picasso or which, I can't remember which artist uh, did that. But yeah, it's blue Picasso. Period. Yeah, he went through oh, the blue cool, period. Great. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. So I Excellent. continued painting when I got out and I had a couple art shows in the community. One was during Addiction Awareness Month um, yes. during the pandemic. 
And then I joined the Bangor Art Society, and um, I started doing shows with them. And then I found this amazing company called La Galerie from Canada. And they uh-huh. take artists, and you can turn your art into this environmentally friendly clothing brand. And it's very feminine, and it's very well made. And it also comes in plus sizes, which is so cool because I'm, I'm all about inclusivity and, you know, just including everybody and equality and all that stuff. So I was, like, really happy that, you know, they had plus sizes. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, again, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'd love to have you back on. You're, you're on my uh, seat. You're the first episode of my season eight, okay? Oh, and, um Yes, That's yes, yes. Awesome. And I also made sure to feature you because I wanted um, the world to hear your story for sure because I'm oh, getting – um, you're very welcome, and I just think you're you're just amazing. And so um, I will definitely be in touch if that's okay. And I'd love to have you on, <laughs> have you on again. And um, I would love come back. Yes, yes, yes. And then uh, and also I'll be on YouTube soon, having my show there. And I'd love to have you on. Okay. Oh yeah, that's so, great. Please. I would love to come on. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. This is our artist here, our activist, our survivor. She's amazing. And um, thank you again. And bye for now, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay, there you have it, everyone. The, uh, The purpose. This is from prison to purpose. And with artist Elizabeth McTowitz. I hope I'm saying her name right. I forgot to ask. Oh, But I am definitely going to have her back, and you can see why. She has a very powerful message. Um, she's had um, a lot of trauma, and out of it, she has come on top. She's doing amazing things, amazing. And I absolutely enjoyed listening to her and listening to her perspective. Her answers were, were just stunning. And it's nothing like having um, hands-on experience on a topic that you're speaking on. And so I absolutely appreciate her. And she was amazing, amazing. Please reach out. Please buy her. uh, Please buy Elizabeth's uh, um, brand. It's called EPM Clothing, Environmentally Friendly Clothing Brand. All right. And... um, I left the description of the link. It's in, excuse me, in my description of the show, the link is there. Okay. And um, thank you all so much for listening. I'm actually uh, running out of time right now, but thank you so much for listening to our topic from prison to purpose with artist Elizabeth McTalwitz. All right. Thank you. Bye for now.